Um, well, just uh, again, thank you. Big thank you to Patrick for letting me be involved in this way. Um, if you weren't here last week, we watched a clip from Phantom Menace. And the clip from Phantom Menace was uh, Jedi Master Yoda, uh, where little boy Anakin was first introduced to the Jedi Council and to Yoda. And Yoda tells little Anakin that he sensed a lot of fear in him, particularly fear of losing his mother. And, and he, he counsels Anakin by saying that fear is the path to the dark side, that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time last week talking about fear, about how fear is the soil in which other negative emotions can take root and grow. We talked about how fear causes us to lose control, it blinds us. Fear makes us easy to exploit and manipulate. Uh, we talked about mindfulness and being aware of our fear and our anger and trying to bring those things to our consciousness so that they don't uh, exercise control over us. We talked about how love, according to the scriptures, love casts out fear. And so this week, the, the scene that we're going to watch basically shows Anakin, this is, we're moving on to Attack of the Clones, we're seeing Anakin fail to heed Master Yoda's counsel as he totally gives himself over to hatred. Uh, and so it's a little bit longer clip than last week. Um, did Patrick leave us? Let me see if I can get it started here. Um, oh, you got it. Thank you. <laughs> so if we can move beyond Hayden Christensen's bad acting. The acting was good. We've, the writing was good. We've got a, we've got a pretty interesting scene uh, where Anakin fails to take Yoda's advice, you know, where he totally gives himself over to his anger and to his hatred. Um, so I guess the first question that we have to, to grapple with is, was what Anakin did by killing the Sand People, was that wrong? And if so, why? I mean, I, hold on just a second. It, it appears, for those of you who maybe haven't seen the movie, we don't know how this happened, but the Sand People have captured uh, Anakin's mother, and so they're, they're ultimately responsible for her suffering and dying, and we don't know the circumstances that, that led to her, um, them capturing her, but he has bad dreams about it, he can sense that something's wrong, he goes to her, and that's, that's you know, what you see, so go ahead. I mean, it's kind of a gray area. I mean, this is coming from a guy who's read a lot of the expanded universe, too, so I'm drawing from sources that a lot of people wouldn't really know of. Uh, and honestly, the Sand People have always been a huge, huge threat uh, to people. Um, they actually managed to completely burn down one of the first settlements put on Tatooine and just 
raised all kinds of problems from there on. Well, knowing as we do that the expanded universe is no longer canon, sticking with what we have seen so far, assuming this is what we know, was what he did wrong? He seems to feel guilty about it. He confesses it to Amidala. But what do y'all think? Justify it, but from the Jedi's point of view, they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to act out of anger. They're supposed to be for peace and justice. That's well, well, I appreciate that. God bless you. Um, yeah, I mean, the we learned from Obi Wan Kenobi in Star Wars that the Jedi were the guardians of peace and justice, and and it seems like Anakin internally feels like there's some contradiction there if he's supposed to be about peace and justice but is this not justice well it depends on if you want to <clears throat> depends on where your uh what, what your baseline is if you're hammurabi you know you can look at one thing but uh i, I teach high school one of my classes the, the, they were asking me about some political stuff that's going on and what my thoughts were about it and i said well here are my thoughts i think say it's safe to say no matter what start in love no matter what you do, if you start from a place of love and whatever I'm going to do, I want to do it in love. I think you're pretty safe in that. Um, and so if that's your baseline, you're saying, did he act in love? Was it for love of his mother that he you know, killed or murdered all those people? Um, I have a hard time saying it was done out of love. So if that's your baseline, I'd say it was uh, not good. It was not okay. Okay. All right, so if, if we're starting with the understanding that love should form a baseline for our behavior, which I don't know if that's how the Jedi, I don't know if that's, you know, part of the Jedi code. Uh, actually, I do, but, but uh, you know, that's, that's just what a nerd I am. But, uh, but for Christians, starting from a point of love, you know, unconditional love, perfect love, casting out fear, we certainly might want to take issue with this. But what about sticking with the word justice? Is this justice? Seem more like vengeance to me. What's the difference in justice and vengeance? Ask somebody else. Somebody else. <laughs> Thanks for getting us started. Yes. You know, this is going to sound harsh, but maybe if he killed the guy who took his mom, that's justice. Yeah. But he kills everybody, and that's, that's vengeance. Clearly, the children were not complicit in the stealing of his mom and thus her death. Okay. On the other hand, though, if he kills the people who did take it, most likely the men, the children are just going to grow up fatherless and vengeful themselves. So it's really just a vicious cycle. I don't think he was thinking about grace, though, when he killed the children. Okay, so we've got folks saying that, you know, if you want to kill the responsible party, maybe we could put that under kind of a justice-type uh, heading. But once you get to people who weren't directly responsible, particularly children, then maybe we're not so much talking about justice anymore. I think the difference between like justice and vengeance is kind of the motivating factor behind them. And vengeance is all about getting even. And it's about this, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. Where justice is, there are punishments for actions. And there has to be kind of that given out. Um, but what he did was very much, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you worse. And so that's kind of where the vengeance comes in, is his motivating factor wasn't, there has to be punishment for actions. It was, I'm doing this because I'm angry and because you hurt me, so I want you to feel the same way I felt. Mm. Okay, so I, I heard two things there that number one, vengeance tends to be more individualistic. 
uh, whereas maybe justice might be something more communal, that we all agree that, you know, when somebody does this kind of harm, there's going to be this kind of consequence. But then also, uh, I heard her say that when you're talking about vengeance, you're basically talking about revisiting the pain and suffering on someone else. It's never about healing something, you know. It's, it's about passing that pain on to another party, whereas maybe justice, uh, hopefully, in, in the best sense, is about kind of healing something, uh, bringing about some sort of restoration. Uh, I think this is terribly important, terribly important conversation for us to have as Americans and as Christians, because all through the, the Jewish and Christian scriptures is the idea that justice is an integral part of the kingdom of God. And if, if we don't know what we mean when we say the word justice, and we read in Micah, you know, that, that we want justice to roll down like waters, you know, or when we hear Jesus say that you should not neglect the weightier matters of justice. If we think, if we, if we get confused, and we think in terms of just punishing people for a wrong done, you know, that the, the kingdom of God is justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, if the kingdom of God is punishment and peace, no, that doesn't make sense. You know, we're talking about something different. As Americans, too, uh, our criminal justice building downtown says the first duty of any society is justice. It's written right there on the wall of the criminal justice building. The first duty of any society is punishment? I hope not. You know, I hope that we're talking about something bigger. Maybe punishment's a part of it. Uh, but hopefully justice is a bigger concept, you know, of fairness and of restoring right relationship and, and to, to settle instead for mere punishment, vengeance, revenge, retribution, whatever, uh, we might not be doing, you know, justice the way that maybe we should be. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was just going to say in the Old Testament that, that I, the notion of uh, an eye for an eye was not that you would get revenge on them, but that you would only take an eye for an eye. So, you know, a life for a life, maybe. However, then you have um, examples of God telling them to put the entire city to the sword, men, women, children, animals, everything. So uh, that's, that's a hard thing for me to understand why in the Old Testament you've got this and then you've also got this. So, I mean, that's just sort of a, I guess, a tangent. Like, um, go ahead. But a counterpoint, actually, though, in the New Testament, we're told paying evil unto evil is inherently wrong. I mean, I'm drawing outside from Scripture when I bring this up, but, you know, if I kill a murderer, then the number of murderers remains the same. Does anybody briefly want to ar uh, offer any kind of a, what do you do with passages that seem to indicate God is a terribly angry, vengeful, violent entity calling for wholesale slaughter of people all the way down to livestock and contrasting that with Jesus who seems so much nicer? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, when we're reading some of those passages that seem very violent and vengeful, they're very difficult to distinguish from any other primitive culture, right, and the way that they thought about their particular God. Uh, and that might be helpful for us to think through, you know, 
this, this seems to be the way that ancient peoples and a lot of modern people tend to think God works. And if we settle for that, we might be missing the point of the incarnation, you know, where Jesus shows up and kind of says, if you want to know what God is like, here it is, you know. Maybe some of those violent passages notwithstanding, right? Um, okay, last thought. Go ahead. Along I these see lines. This another way. Um, love your enemies, yes. Don't let them walk all over you. Do what you have to to make sure that you are safe, but don't give in to hatred. Defend yourself. So that's like a that's like a footnote. Yes. To love your enemies. Okay. Yes. In the Star Wars context, though, if you look at the you know the Galactic Empire, the the the, um, the role of the Jedi are kind of like UN peacekeepers, right? They're there make sure that there is harmony across the whole galaxy, um, a rule of law, right? To make sure that <clears throat> that nobody's breaking the law and that um, people follow the will of the whole, not the individual. And I think what he does there is completely destroys all credibility of the Jedi, too, and is going to lead to the downfall and the uprising of the Empire because people see Jedi, who are the peacekeepers, acting this way, and who can they trust? The church, if the church is going to go and we're thinking of it like the the 1100, 1100s, where the you know we go in the Holy Land um, and wipe out all these people, you know, where the Catholic Church becomes a place of, of vengeance and not a peace of love, I think you know, they lost a lot of credibility there as as um, givers of peace and light and life to, to the world. <coughs> I think that's what Anakin does here too. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, I think that's an excellent point because if we want to uh, smooth all of the rough edges off of Jesus's "love your enemies, turn the other cheek" you know type teachings that are so difficult, you know, then you kind of wonder, well, are we just playing by the same rules as everybody else? And Jesus seems to even anticipate that in the Sermon on the Mount when he says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He says, you know, if you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you're only good to your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? So it's almost like he's anticipating that and saying, if you can't do this, then, then you're really no, nothing is going to distinguish you from any other group, you know, that has a bunch of esoteric beliefs about life after death. The brass tax is, are you willing to love your enemy, even if that means suffering, because that's what's going to set you apart from the pagans, because they, they're, they're, they're good at retribution towards their enemies. Yes? I'll, um, with the Old Testament violence, how I have always seen it was, it was very specific and very targeted to a plan. It, it wasn't a go attack and kill and just continue that pattern, it was, you must, you know, wipe out this specific area, this specific people for a reason. And whether it's because they're so evil, they're sacrificing all their babies, or it's because maybe they, the idolatry or the disease or, or whatever the aspect of it is, you know, the Old Testament, God's plan was to get the Israelites through for a lineage to make sure that, that Christ was born. Um, but I still see today, you, know, you look at innocent people, you look at children, you know, those that you have to protect, there is, I, I would believe, evil in the world. It's like in, in the 40s we rose up to, to take out the Nazis, uh, the genocide of the Jewish people. You know, for us to not 
act and to have inaction, I mean, that of itself, I think you are called to protect. Um, and I, I think that is not an antithesis of the scripture, I think, and this sounds strange, but you talk about murder and killing, uh, I think they're two different things. And I think it's more of a gray area that you know, I would have to love somebody enough to be able to kill somebody for them. And I know that's a very strange thought to have, but um, if it was my children and somebody was attacking my children and it was the only way I could protect them was to kill that person, I would do it. But that would haunt me the rest of my life. But it's the motivation behind the act, whether it's protection, whether it's, uh, you know, I think that's what's more important than the action itself. Um, one, I uh, appreciate that. One interesting uh, kind of shifting gears just a little bit, but kind of a springboard from what you, what you just said, is that when we interpret the scriptures kind of that way, that God had this specific idea in mind, you know, that generally violence is bad, uh, but, you know, for certain purposes, you know, that God sanctions that, is that a lot of times we can, we can have in our minds what we might think is a divine purpose for our violence. Uh, and the voice in our head, you know, it might be our own, but boy, it sounds a lot like God. And I'm thinking particularly about the extermination of the Native American people. Okay, this is something where we routinely invoked scripture to show that our uh, extermination of Native American people was perfectly fine. And so the second lesson, the first lesson being kind of Anakin loses sight of the distinction between justice and revenge. The second lesson here is when he's talking to Padme, he says, they're like animals and I slaughtered them like animals. Listen to this. Uh, well, before I get into this, remember what Thich Nhat Hanh, our little Buddhist uh, friend from last week said, he said, hatred and fear blind us. We no longer see each other. We only see the faces of monsters, and that gives us the courage to destroy each other. And so thinking about the Native Americans, listen to what George Washington said. He said, Indians and wolves are both beasts of prey, though they differ in shape. Teddy Roosevelt, you know, many, many years later said, I don't go so far as to think that the only good Indians are dead Indians, but I believe nine out of ten are. And I shouldn't like to inquire too closely into the case of the tenth. And reflecting on some of this, Martin Luther King said, Our nation was born in genocide when it embraced the doctrine that the original American, the Indian, was an inferior race. Even before there were large numbers of Negroes on our shore, the scar of racial hatred had already disfigured colonial society. From the 16th century forward, blood flowed in battles over racial supremacy. We are perhaps the only nation which tried as a matter of national policy to wipe out its indigenous population. Moreover, we elevated that tragic experience into a noble crusade. Indeed, even today we have not permitted ourselves to reject or feel remorse for this shameful episode. Our literature, our films, our drama, our folklore, we should add the names of our professional sports teams, all exalt it. Our children are still taught to respect the violence which reduced a red-skinned people of an earlier culture into a few fragmented groups herded into impoverished reservations. In looking at this a little more closely, have we ever called it the American Holocaust? 
Wouldn't that be appropriate? It achieved an extermination rate of 95 to 99 percent by the year 1900. So the genocide of, of the original colonists and their heirs was almost a complete success. Yeah, it was it was a wholesale slaughter. You know, it was giving them blankets that were infested with smallpox. You know, in addition to the the outright wars that we waged, uh, uh, and and I just wonder, have we reckoned with this? Have we lamented this? Because you you bring up uh, World War II and the Holocaust of the Jewish people. You know, over in Germany, man, I haven't been there. From what I understand, you you, you see. Uh, markers, landmarks, memorials to the Holocaust everywhere, everywhere. I mean, they rec they recognize it is a national tragedy, tragedy, and they want to memorialize it every chance that they get. And then here we are, you know, with our whitewashed, pun intended, telling of the story, where we still celebrate these people who slaughtered the Native Americans. And I'm thinking here, Anakin says, they're, they're like animals. And I slaughtered them like animals. Yes, ma'am. What's ma the purpose of the slaughtering, though? The purpose was to gather land and to take over their facility, the, this country. I mean, I'm Native American, and I, I do understand that. But I'm just saying the purpose, you know, it wasn't just to kill them, to kill them like they did the buffalo and walk on and game. And a lot of that was ignorance. But it was also to take over their land and to settle. Well, well it's manifest destiny, and, right? And the tribes fought against each other to, and to take over their land too, area, too. So I'm just saying the purpose, you're making it sound like the purpose was just to kill them. No, the purpose was to take their land, to take this country. Same, same purpose as the Israelites. No different, right? No. And then again in the Crusades, when they went back, they were going to win the Holy Lands back. It really wasn't it about land. They yeah. Those people were inferior who were inhabiting that land. They wanted, you know, they went back. Right, right. Weren't there like four major Crusades? And so then, if, if it's about land, they couldn't cultivate their land, right? Yes. First of all, I don't appreciate you bringing this up because it makes me very uncomfortable and it causes me to think about things I really don't want to think about. <laughs> you, sh you should have known. You should have known. Attack of the Clones, it's just, it's all right there, you know, it's just so surface. Uh, it's much easier for me to go to my house and use my microwave and my stove and my refrigerator and, you know, think about, hey, what, what satiates my, my desires right now? Oh, that's what I'll eat. That's, that's much more enjoyable. Um, the key, I think, is, is definitely, is, is a believer. Manifest destiny, to me, is really key in this. In that, um, 
show me any time in the Bible, New, Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere, where God told somebody to do something. Was it something they wanted to do? Ever. Was there, did God ever tell somebody explicitly to do something? It was something they wanted to do. I can't think of a time. He never told anybody to go up again. Yeah, yeah. Even you know, even Jesus, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I, I, I don't want to do this, but I will. And so, whether it's manifest destiny or whatever it is, if you think God's telling you to do something, is it something you really want to do? And if it's something you want to do, I, I challenge you to to really think about that. And with manifest destiny, man, I just have a hard time believing that God that was something that that God wanted the people to do. And it's very uncomfortable to think about things wrong. All right. Oh, let's go over in the corner real quick. Very good. Thank you. Ms. Ewing. The, the thing I noticed uh, on this was he thought the little man, what's his name? Yoda. 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 I'm so glad you're Elvis. in here. <laughs> I'm going to. Yeah, that he's, he's whoever was jealous of, uh, who'd become his Darth Vader or whatever. Yes. Sure, you're talking specifically about when he said that Obi-Wan was jealous, right? So, so Anakin's master, his teacher, is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and at least twice in the films you hear Anakin try to blame Obi-Wan for the conflict that he's feeling, you know, where he says, I'm not the Jedi I should be, uh, it's all Obi-Wan's fault. Obi-Wan's jealous of my powers, uh, and so he kind of scapegoats Obi-Wan, right? Yeah, he's holding me back, you know, I'm, I'm beyond where he is, but he won't. He still won't cut me loose to become a Jedi. Later on, Anakin's very upset that he's not a member of the Jedi Council, or he's not a, made a master to the Jedi Council. So his, yeah, he's, he's, jealousy certainly is, is a motivator, yes. So it doesn't directly related to that, but it is kind of with his lust for power, because I think there's a distinct between, and why we're cautioned in the New Testament to not <coughs> Anakin, when he makes the comment about, I slaughter animals, I slaughtered them like animals, that's, a, that's an outcast judgment against, there's no hope for those people. Yes, um, yes. I think that's difference between justice, um, when you're righting a wrong, you're trying to correct towards redemption of back to where we should be going towards. That's excellent, excellent, very well said. 
What's another group of people that we have demonized and dehumanized? Well, yeah, I don't, I'm, yeah, you're right, you're right. Listen to this quote. This is from Abraham Lincoln. I will say then that I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. And I will say in addition to this that there is a physical difference between the white and black races which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live while they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. Abraham Lincoln. Woodrow Wilson. Negroes are excited by a freedom they don't understand and are not equipped to handle the demands and privileges of citizenship. That's the 20th century president. It's so, I was talking to Brother Chrysler last week, it is so easy, it seems, for us when we talk about fear and anger and demonization to point to ISIS to point to, and, and maybe when we're looking at ourselves, what about those Syrian refugees? Man, why are we so afraid and angry about Syrian refugees? But man, the race issue eludes us still. When we think about dehumanizing a group of people, we have a hard time recognizing our own racism. Whether it was, you know, very explicit like these quotes, or whether it's a more latent racism. Uh, I think that sometimes we, we get a false sense of security by the progress that we have made, we would never, like Anakin, say we regard anyone as an animal, right? But our policies may betray that. There are more black men in America's prisons right now than were enslaved in 1850. Black men make up less than 7% of the general population in America and they constitute 40% of its prisoners. A black boy born today has a one in three chance of going to prison. Largely, this is a product of the war on drugs, which one of President Nixon's policy advisors has recently admitted was intentionally formulated to target communities of color. Crack cocaine, which is typically what you think of in inner city poor areas, has historically been punished 100 times more severely than powder cocaine. And we should note that the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery states neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. We now have the largest population of slaves in the world, 2.3 million people. And lest we think that we're not somehow complicit in any of this, they're working for us. They're making lingerie for Victoria's Secret. 
They're working for Sprint. All sorts of corporations are profiting off of prison labor because you pay them pennies, for, uh, pennies an hour. They're not subject to workers' comp or anything like that. They're making stuff for us, and it's largely black and brown people. Widely disproportionate numbers of black and brown people make up our prison population. And so the question we have to reckon with, I think, is are we still demonizing and dehumanizing people based on race, even though we have a black president, right? And I think we have to stop and say, well, what have we reckoned with slavery? Have we reckoned with Jim Crow? Have we reckoned with our own terrorism that, that lynchings were just a product of less than a hundred years ago? This is, this is American history here, and we're not memorializing it the way that Germany is the Holocaust. You know, we're, we're, having, we're having things at, at Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain is like a memorial to racism. There's just no real other way to cut it. You're glorifying one of the most horrific chapters in American history. But we're not racist, right? We would never do, we would never call somebody animals. We'll lock them up, though, at a disproportionate rate, right? We'll punish them, we'll target them with our drug policing policies. But that's not demonizing people, right? Because it's the 21st century, yes. Two quick things. Be careful when listing off all those statistics because you need to add in one more. And that is, who is the crime against? And many times, more often than anything else, when you're looking at um, the incarceration rate of black Americans, the crimes that they're committing are against other black Americans. So it's, it's hard to say. I get it, and I'm, I'm with you on a lot of this, and I think it's way out of proportion, but a lot of the crime that they're committing, the criminals are committing, are against other black people, not people of other races. So to, to make it seem like we as a white race, maybe, are targeting black people in a disproportionate way can be misleading because it's not it's not lining up entirely correctly. But the second thing I want to oh, say sorry. is uh, that I think history is one of the most ignored subjects that we have in schools uh, because we we never learn just like you're reading those are quotes from people not even a couple of generations past from us in high positions of power in our country and how many people could say that they recognize those quotes yeah we yeah just ignore our history so the comment here second comment was uh we're not learning our history well and it might be that we need to read something like Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States to get an alternative telling of history. The first comment, though, was that uh, if you're talking about the number of African Americans who are incarcerated, if you're talking about violent crime, a lot of times it's committed against other African Americans. But as a, as a practical matter, violent crime is not responsible for the explosion of America's prison population over the past 40 years. It's the war on drugs. It's criminalizing people who are self-medicating. And that's a victimless crime. You know, if I smoke a bunch of dope, that doesn't really have a victim, right? Preston, yes. As a believer, regardless of what it is, when there is a wrong and injustice, um, it should hurt our hearts. And if we have an opportunity to name it, acknowledge it, and express regret and remorse and mourn it, then as a believer, I believe that that's a good thing to do. And um, I believe that very clearly uh, the country that we, you know, that we live in is built upon. There are some things that very easily, as a believer, 
where I can regret, I can name, and I can uh, express that my heart hurts for the wrongs, and I can remember it. And I think as a believer, that is right. Um, and uh, all politics aside, just as a believer, to lament hurts and wrongs uh, and, and just egregious uh, immoral things that happen, I think that's a good thing to do. So Josh's last comment was, when you're talking about demonizing a group of people the way that Anakin did here, whether you're talking about sand people in the movies, Native Americans, African Americans, the response of a believer should be to lament. Because what we have here are, are clear violations of the gospel. Whether you talk about the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians or the mystery of the gospel is articulated by Paul that race is just not part of the equation in the kingdom of God, when you have practices or policies that are racist, that tend to dehumanize a group of people, that is something to, to grieve. So, thank you very much for your comments. Appreciate it.